0: Hi, this is Brent Skousen, the youngest son of W. Cleon Skousen. What you are about to hear is a live recording of a university lecture by W. Cleon Skousen as he taught his Old Testament course. We really are fortunate to have these recordings, although at the time they weren't anticipated to be released publicly. As these lectures were recorded live, they are unscripted and unedited. You will feel as though you are actually there. If you are following the Come, Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have tried to coordinate each lecture with this week's lesson, although there may be some overlap. For those interested in the text Brother Skousen and the students are using, it is published as The First 2,000 Years, written by W. Cleon Skousen, and is available at bookstores or online at skousen2000.com. Now sit back and join us in the classroom of W. Cleon Skousen. Enjoy!
1: Now we played our record last time and brought it all to life now so that we really know we're dealing with live human beings. And uh, you will have noticed in today's lessons that there are some basic truths that apply to some of our current problems, like women's lib and so forth, and to give you a few uh, basic and tangible perceptions. I want to start out, however, with a little more difficult problem because we've never experienced it. We don't know anything about it. We're told about it, but have no idea what it would be like to have um, a palate and tongue and a mouth that never registers thirst. Arms that never register fatigue. Legs that never need to have you sit down or lie down. They just don't get tired. Uh, Eyes that never get weary and a body that never needs sleep. You can't starve it, you can't drown it, you can't smother it, you can't shoot it. Now that's what a human body is like when its temporal laws have been suspended, and your body is potentially capable of that. And our Heavenly Father had to have us avoid that, otherwise we would have never learned anything in this estate. But our bodies are capable of being made immortal without ever going through the trauma, the terrible agony of ejecting the spirit from the body. They're potentially capable of going through that, not going through death. So you have Adam and Eve in an immortal state. Some think translated, some think resurrected. They were immortal. They arrived in the Garden of Eden. President Young says, having come from another planet where they had their beginnings, made of the dust of the earth, but not the dust of this earth. Introduced into the Garden of Eden on a prepared earth, and as we mentioned last time, it's entirely possible that preparation may have involved eons, long periods of time, of other life, other times. A little, little difference there, but nobody really knows. The Lord said, I'll tell you beginning of the millennium just how I set that up. They arrived here, they went through their, their very, probably, brief state of existence in total innocence, although Adam was given some priesthood ordinances and some other things before he left the Garden of Eden, and the Lord had to set that up so that these two people who don't know who they are anymore, here's a top personality and his bride from the pre-existence, Michael, the one that was our leader now not remembering who they are that's what you call amnesia just don't know who you are you're here but you don't know who you are it's a terrible feeling in police work we ran into these once in a while they say but chief how did I get here how did I get in Salt Lake and I said well I have a, some pictures here in your pocketbook are any of these people familiar no is this name familiar to you no, no never heard of him well this pocketbook contains your picture with a man and a woman and two children the man is elderly. You recognize him? No? Don't recognize him. And, and, and the panic, the panic of not knowing who they are overwhelms them. When you stop to think about it, you don't know who you are. You came into this world perfectly innocent of your past. And that happened to Adam and Eve. They didn't know they were kings and queens from the other state. And they had that brief period, and the Lord set it up so that they would now do in our, on our behalf something that would be against the will of God. Now, when you get two totally obedient people and want them to actually make a selection that is on their own judgment, people that are so obedient, all God has to say is, that way, Adam, and he would have gone that way. That way, Eve moved up. Now, how do you get them to make an independent judgment when they are that wonderfully obedient? And there's just about only one way, and that's to create a dilemma, where they have to choose one or the other. They're opposite to each other. And it was a very delicate thing to set up, but our Heavenly Father said, I lose so many of my children during this estate, as the family of gods always have. I must do what they've done before me. I must present the dilemma so when they make the choice, no matter which way they went, it would be contrary to one of the commandments, so that I'm absolutely assured that it's independent of me, because many of my children never get to come back to me. And they rejoiced when I presented the plan to them in heaven. They all thought they would make it, but not really very many actually make it. The rest are on lower levels. We wish that it could be otherwise, but it's a result of their own choice. So I must be sure the second estate is initiated on their own choice. So he sets them up in this situation, tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And then Lucifer can't even get a crack at them until they've fallen and started having children. And he knows that's part of God's plan. But in his own mind, he thinks he can outmaneuver Jehovah. He had the absolute confidence that he was as smart as his brethren. Before he was through, he would tear the father Elohim from his throne and set up a whole new kingdom with no risk involved where you force the stupid masses to do what's good for them. That sounds familiar to you? That's what Marx said. That's what Engels said. Stalin said. What Khrushchev said. Now we've got a psychologist out of Harvard saying it. Beyond what does he call it beyond um, freedom and dignity yeah beyond freedom and dignity he says we've got to give up all those things we mustn't have any more this business of unalienable rights of life liberty and the pursuit of happiness that's what's getting us all this trouble everybody making choices and they're so stupid if we made them for them we'd be smart it's an old old story and it took a third of our brothers and sisters they said no risk No risk insurance. Wow! We're going with Lucifer. And I wouldn't be surprised if a while, there wasn't even a majority on the Lord's side. And some of us just worked day and night using our testimony and urging them to follow the pattern of the family of the gods and not go for this uh, highly centralized, authoritative, dictatorial tyranny that was being offered them to eliminate risk. And finally we got two-thirds on our side and the Father said, that's all the time there is we will go forward with these two-thirds. And Lucifer, you take your followers, and your, you, you can go to the earth temporarily. I will evict you from there later. And I will also take away from you your spirits, cast you into outer darkness, naked intelligences. That's the role. And Lucifer said, no. I demand equal time as the attorney. The gods have always had to allow their children to make choices. And when you give me a chance to make my argument Ah you'll be amazed how many will choose me in the second estate and father wasn't amazed he's gone through this so many times but he gets a lot of us anyway the father had to be very careful how he set that up and lucifer not knowing the mind of god did what had been done on other worlds he provided the temptation to get the fall initiated so that he could go ahead and they'd have their children we get those spirits out of heaven. You see, he has no access to them up there, or in the spirit world. They're separated from them. He has to get them across over here where he can get a crack at them. And then he thinks he can outwit Jehovah. And this is a life and death struggle between these two super intelligences. And he's trying to get us, and the Savior's trying to help us save ourselves. And the gods are restricted to honoring free agency. They cannot compel us. Lucifer would compel you, but not the Lord. Good question. Since there are other worlds and other programs of salvation just like this one, uh, what is the impelling force to evil on the other worlds? This is what you're asking? All right. Now, the atonement not only covered this world, but all of those that are immediately under the Savior's jurisdiction. We don't know how many or what it is, but this is the, the earth on which apparently the best and the worst were put, and, uh, and the Savior then appeared on this one. I imagine that the other worlds, this is an assumption on my part, are much more bland and compatible and they kind of go through the program with much less trauma than we do. We've really got a mixture of the best and the worst. In any event, um, on each of these worlds, what impels toward rebellion? It's inherent in intelligent nature and a certain percentage of them, particularly as they get up very close to the father, can't help but tell him he's old-fashioned this is uneconomical. There's a lot better way. Why do you have such a hang-up on free agency? Couldn't you just this once take them by the nap of the neck and pull them through the second estate and bring them up on the other side? Your casual rate is absolutely phenomenal, inexcusable. Don't you have any compassion for them? I'll violate their free agency but I'll save them. They deserve it. And the father says, my son You don't seem to understand. The moment that you compel, you introduce the element of revolution in our creations. You see all those things out there? They're all fulfilling the law we've given them because they want to. Not one is compelled. It takes us a lot longer. But it's eternal. They continue obeying us. Your system Is inherently self-destructive. It puts a time bomb in our creations. It's rejected on those other planets. Um, uh, You mean that are tempting them on other planets? Couldn't say that. Couldn't say that because I don't know. I don't see how any planet could fulfill its purposes without having tempters. For Our particular group of organ group of creations, right? Lucifer might too. In fact, Brigham Young says this element of satanical force and salvation is on every world, so they have the same tugs, one way or another. Intelligent beings. Well, what I'm saying is that. Uh, we, we learn from this and from all that we know about our Heavenly Father's creations that inevitably, as he cultivates a whole host of spirits and brings them up, he finds one of the chieftains among them uh, voluntarily deciding that he's smarter than the Father. It always turns out that way. And they'll challenge the Father, that's what the word devil means, the accuser. You're not doing it right. And there were others that felt the same way, like Cain, apparently went through all of the formalities of qualifying for this life he never quite got over the brink uh, so the lord had to really put him in a situation where he could uh, flush out the the um, sedition that was in his breast and he did it and made him a son of perdition and he said you really were that from the beginning cain you really were on satan's side from the very beginning but you went through the formal. you were entitled of all of this you got the priesthood but now you've rejected me after having had open revelation And you will rule over Satan because you've got a body. You've had a lot more experience. You rule over him. All right, now apparently there are a lot of those kind of personalities uh, uh, in any given group of intelligence. I've even watched it in good people. Somebody takes a position, a firm position, and another good person just can't resist (laughs) saying, but I don't agree. (laughs) And if he does it in a nice way, you don't get dissension. If you say, well, that's a lie. That couldn't be true. You're stupid if you think that. Well, we've got a fight going on right away, but if the person says, it's difficult for me to follow that particular thought, well, then you've got a dialogue, which is the way it should be. Anyway, this seems to be inherent in human nature to want to um, do your own thing, and some of them just can't subordinate, reconcile their will to that of the Father, and accept the fact that sin never was happiness, and that these superior intelligences that have gone before us have really worked out the best way. That's all we're learning, isn't it? Really? Really? And they don't deprive us of our free agency in the process. But there's always a percentage who will rise up and rebel. Now you had your hand up first. Somebody over here. I kept seeing it out of my fourth dimension. Did you have your hand no, up? I had my hand up earlier asking about... Yes, apparently as he was ushered into the Garden of Eden. Uh, he had uh, the, all the preparation of the earth was under his guidance. Uh, he was responsible for the bringing, getting everything set up, and getting everything ready to operate. And uh, then he went into his amnesia in the Garden of Eden. He had it all finished. Yeah. This is one of the great lessons uh, the temple teaches us. Now we had another couple of hands. Yes. Why didn't the father want the sure, he? Yes, he knew he was going to fall or that is he knew he was going to go in the second estate slide into it easily, you know. Yeah. Well, why, why the him Eat the apple, you'll fall. Then we as his cho- children would say, Father, you're cruel. This is your program. You look what you did This is this isn't a smart program. This is very uneconomical. This is terrible. People do that anyway, don't they? Why doesn't God stop war? Why does God allow suffering? Don't they say that? Okay. So you're some of uh, you represent one of the more advanced groups that would have much deeper insight than the vast majority. Our Father, our heavenly Father knows human intelligences. He's done everything that he's done to get as many as he could through without rising up and railing against the heavens and screaming out in protest. It's very carefully engineered. Yes, uh, this seems to be the whole implication of the scripture. Yes. Um, right. He he rebelled actually on two occasions. There were two councils in heaven. And uh, he was very disappointed that he wasn't appointed the creator. He was rejected for that, but he didn't rebel. Uh, That is, He he was angry, but he didn't rebel. And the second time, he was rejected as the leader of the earth or the savior of the earth, and he was going to do it without requiring an atoning sacrifice. And that's when he just openly rebelled and was immediately cast out. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Well, you have to have an overt act to carry it out before you're judged by it. Uh, Now, that's the key to the atonement, and uh, if you'll bear with me, if I don't cover it today, I'll cover it next time, and I'll give you the key to the atonement, which is just thrilling. It's in the appendix of your book. That was the first time it appeared in any modern church book. Um, But why was the atonement necessary? And that's what all that is about. And if that doesn't completely answer it, why, then you ask uh, additional ramifications of it. So let me just carry this thought along a little bit further. When the uh, fruit was partaken of, which represents the fall, it was much more cataclysmic than the simple story in Genesis. But the Lord gave us that much. It's enough for us until we see the real thing, the way it happened. Then we'll be, uh, I'm sure, totally astonished at how monumental it was. But all of a sudden, these bodies began to surge with feeling. They're very self-conscious all of a sudden. Heat and cold, thirst, hunger... You remember in the little record why uh, Eve says you know I have a funny feeling in my tummy and he said oh yeah you're hungry no she wasn't hungry before the fall they enjoyed fruit but uh, not in the sense that it was just uh, you know satisfy a craving or avoid starvation because uh, an immortal body is just impervious to these things. But now you see all this surging suddenly comes into the body and you've got all these nerve endings suddenly coming alive. And The Book of Mormon says that for the first time their body would interpret good and evil for them. That's too hot and that's too cold and this makes me comfortable and this makes me very uncomfortable and that makes me bleed and so forth. All of a sudden they're learning all kinds of things about temporal matter. And learning it pretty fast, stub your toe, avoid the rose bush. Everything's getting thorns on it now. Got Poland, etc. Well, um, this all came to them all of a sudden, and they saw that they were naked, and they 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 have a sense of modesty and timidity come over them, etc. And so they clothed themselves sufficiently, and until the Lord came, yes, uh, it seems to have been. Um, uh, actually a charging of their immortal bodies with something that turned them on. All of a sudden it turned them on. Now it can be suspended and that's what happens with the translated being. All of a sudden it's suspended. In the three Nephites, uh, see, they put them in prison, they buried them, they tried to drown them, they put them in with wild animals spear them. You can't kill them. It's terrible. It's very frustrating. <laughs> so, then the, the father came and he had his big long conversation with Adam and and Adam right away he alibied and it's Eve. Right away she alibied and said that snake. He beguiled me, he really did. He really fooled me, he said I wouldn't nothing would happen and it's gone and happened. And um, so the Lord talked to Satan. Now there's a lot behind that conversation. We've been told the most simple, childlike story, much of it symbolic. So we just wait that wait. That happened, it really happened, it literally happened. We'll get the real details later. Now, when they're cast out of the Garden of Eden, the Lord says, I do not want you to partake of the tree of life. And what I want you to remember is that all the seeds of death that start a body on the downward trail toward the grave can be suspended. Temporarily or permanently. If they had partaken of the fruit of the tree of life, would it have been temporary or permanent? <laughs> permanent. And the Father said, I just put it there so you would know that it's possible and that we therefore scientifically avoid it with a cherubim and a flaming sword. That's very scientific. You, you, cause and effect, you will not have a chance to partake of it. Because if you ever locked your spirit inside your body, uh, you are lost to me. I have no opportunity to exalt you. And when I ran across that uh, in your book is one of the treasures of the gospel It took me about seven years to dig up. I knew I was on the right trail. I'd talk to the brethren. They'd say, you keep going. It's almost there. Yeah, but where's the scripture? It's there. Keep looking and so forth. And I finally found it uh, in the 88th uh, section, the 29th verse there, 28 and 29th, where it talks about a resurrected body being resurrected. And it says, speaking of a celestial spirit, it's by the power of the spirit that I glorify your body. In other words, the spirit has to be pulled out long enough to exalt, and that's used as the catalyst to pull the lower mortal material to it. And if you can't get that spirit out to exalt it, you are scientifically prevented from ever doing anything for that body. It's immortal, but in a fallen estate, and it's scientifically locked in. And there are, there's a science of the heavens, you see, as well as of the earth, and we don't know all the ramifications except we know this truth, that unless you die, you cannot be exalted. and Death means separating the spirit from the body. So that 88 section has that wonderful little gem. It's your spirit that I exalt first, and if I can raise it to a celestial level, then I can bring the mortal material up and it unites with it on on the celestial level. Without that death, if I don't have access to that spirit and exalt it first, we're through. So that's how important the cherubim and the flaming sword was. The Lord wanted us to know that this thing was possible, scientifically possible, but it was deliberately prevented, and Adam and Eve were cast out and went down some forty to eighty miles down the road to adam on yes. uh, what Yes, uh, the brethren have explained that when it says we go back into the presence of God it means we go back into the spirit world where the presence of God is available. doesn't mean we go right into his personal presence, but that's where he is in charge. And uh, we're actually judged by the priesthood. Uh, The priesthood meet us there, and that's where we have our first judgment right after we die. And then if we have to receive additional training, we we go into that waiting place or the prison place as the case may be. Otherwise, we can go into paradisiacal glory uh, with the obedience of the Lord and receive our blessings. And uh, to go right into the presence of God and personally see him, this is a tremendous privilege that comes to few. Uh, so we kind of need to have that explanation, which the brethren have given us concerning that experience. But you are judged by one of God's servants as soon as you die, who does it in the name of the uh, of God. Pardon, a cherubim, a cherubim um, We don't know. We think that it's it's a an, a ministering angel of a certain uh, assignment, uh, but we have no definition of of cherubim c-h-e-r-u-b-i-m but it's plural with the i-m on the end makes it plural but no description anywhere except that in the temple they had images of cherubim with their wings spread out and some think that they were some type of uh, angelic representation with wings indicating capacity to go through space rapidly but we have nothing tangible the Lord uses it both in modern and ancient scripture, so it has some special reference we haven't had explained Yes. And it's very fast, but that spirit still has to be pulled out, even with the twinkling of an eye, and then the body quickened. They never go into the grave. But the, uh, they explain to us that a translated being has not yet received anything except a um, temporary um, animation on a higher dimension, uh, so that he overcomes all- gravitation, uh, the, uh, uh, the problems of thirst and smothering, and all these things have been suspended. But to be glorified, he must yet go through the change, must go through the change. Now when they got into adamondi the we think we, it means the, um, the, that it was settled on what was the plains of the sun and the moon. We have the actual location, it's a beautiful valley, the church has now bought it up and made a, a lovely park out of it. Before the second coming, this is where Adam will return and where all of the prophets of the previous dispensations will be present in a huge conference seen by Daniel, described in considerable detail. And the prophet of our church, without any of the saints knowing about it, will go with the general authorities and will meet at Adam on Diamond, turn the keys back to President McKay, who will be there, to President so-and-so, to President so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so to Pr- Joseph Smith, back to Peter, James, and John, and back to the Savior. and. And all the keys are returned and returned and returned until finally um, uh, they are back in the custody of the Messiah. And then he will rule throughout the millennium. Now this will be before his appearance in glory. This great conference seen by Daniel, which will take place in the valley of adam on Diamond, is similar to the one held three years before Adam's death when the Savior appeared, Jehovah, appeared and ministered to the people and honored the aged Michael or Adam. A tremendous thing in the not-too-distant future. Now, Adamon diamond was going to be flooded here just about five years ago, five or six years ago. They were going to build a dam just below it, and it would have put water over all this territory. The church immediately sent back engineers and found that a, a dam would be much preferable uh, further up the river and got all their data together and then Joseph Fielding Smith and President McKay and several of the brethren all went back to appear before the, um, um, some um, federal body anyway to make their presentation and request that the dam be placed further up the river so that it would not cover this very special area with water and the rumor went around immediately. Have you heard, Brother? President McKay has gone back to Adam-on-Diamond. The big conference is coming off. Boy, rumors spread fast. But he really did go back to Adam-on-Diamond, but it was to arrange so that it wouldn't be dammed off and flooded with water. The big conference, as Brother Joseph Fielding Smith says in his book, The Way to Perfection, will be without the general knowledge of the saints at all. We have a lot to uh, work out in our nation before that conference. First of all, we have to decide whether we can keep this nation from going Antichrist. If we can, uh, that whole territory will remain intact, and the, uh, this nation will be told how to help us build the New Jerusalem, and will actually participate in it with all its technology and help build that magnificent city uh, that has to be built in that territory. There'll be a lot of um, tearing down to do before they're building. But when it's all finished, it will be beautiful. And if any of you from Pittsburgh, anybody from Pittsburgh? Anybody from Pittsburgh? Well, if you could have seen the triangle, that, uh, the, don't we call it the triangle? Yeah. Uh, if you could have seen that in 1930 when I saw it the first time compared to today, you you would know that we could even build a new Jerusalem in Kansas City. But um, there, there will be some structures come down, that's for sure. Kansas City and Independence are pretty close together. Um, Adam and Eve had this very uh, uh, strenuous experience of, of working out their program. We're quite confident they were taught a lot of things. We're even told they were taught some things before they left the garden. They didn't go out totally ignorant. They were not cavemen, but they were primitive pioneers. And uh, in the full health and vigor at that early stage, Eve probably had her children with the ease, relative ease, that they do, for example, in um, some of the countries where I've been, where an expectant mother feels the pangs, uh, the birth pangs coming, and excuses herself from planting rice or whatever. And uh, and all the other girls say, Oh, good, and come and tell us when everything's finished. And, and uh, she'll go off by herself, have her baby. Uh, And uh, knows how to cut the cord and tie it and all the little preliminaries maybe one or two of the girls go with her but I mean it's something that uh, and then the baby is laid in the shade and um, and she'll be back in the field that day in some cases some cases and um, even today with our modern women not having to be that vigorous and healthy to have a baby you know just uh, casual like um, my One of my daughters-in-law recently had her baby by uh, what they call the natural uh, method with uh, very careful preparation, etc. And and she was, um, I think the baby was born at five uh, in the afternoon, and she went shopping the next day and uh, had no, um, she had some, um, had no shots or anything like that. I mean, she was entirely natural method, but it was kind of interesting. And uh, but I'm sure Adam was right there. Boy, I'm pretty worried. And, and, you know, i was supposed to do this and i was supposed to do that. And I hope I remember to do everything. And anyway, that little that little personality survived. Don't know his name. Then some more came and some more came and those grew up and they were taught to mate and have children. The second generation came along and undoubtedly those boys came and said, Fa- uh, "Father, um, tell us again. Uh, what did mother do now?" Tell me about it. Well, now, son, it's kind of a sad story. But it's obvious from the scripture that down through those first two generations, those boys not, could not only get, they couldn't get their answers. Adam just didn't know what was going to happen. Well, well, Dad, are we going to die? Well, you've seen the animals die, and I guess ultimately we will too. I don't know, I don't know. None of us have died yet anyway. But uh, any chance of getting back in the garden, you think? No, I'm sure we'll never get back to the garden. You mean, it's got to be like this all the time. What would happen when we die? Don't ask those questions. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Shear the sheep. Let's get some wool here for Mother. Let's get going. Now, you can tell from what subsequently happens that those kind of conversations went on for about two generations. And finally, in the utmost desperation, apparently, Adam and Eve together are kneeling down and pleading with God Can't he forgive them and talk to them or something? And they hear that wonderful voice over in the direction of the Garden of Eden that commands them, commends them first for praying. That was nice. Uh, it, It wasn't as intrusive as they thought it was. That was a nice thing for you to do. And I'll tell you now what to do. You take the firstborn of your domestic flocks, sheep, goats, and calves. The firstborn is to be slaughtered and put on an altar of uncut stones and burned. Do you understand? Yes, yes. That's all. Adam undoubtedly looked at Mother Eve. We kill them? We burn them? Yes, that's what he said. So you, you go back to these sons and you say, we heard his voice. We heard the voice of God. Oh, great, Dad. What did he say? Well, he said it was nice of us that we tried to talk to him. Uh, oh, great. And what, what else? Are we going back now? Uh, any hope? No, he didn't say anything about that. He just said, kill the firstborn animal of each of our flocks and burn it on a pile of stones. Mom, were you with Dad?
0: <laughs>
1: now, if you uh, just visualize what it would have been like if it had happened to you. Here you've been challenging your father all these years. He's totally ignorant. All of a sudden he comes and tells you God has talked with him. doesn't talk to anybody else but him and Mother Eve. Mother Eve is supporting him. Now, in our next chapter for your assignment coming up, you have this phenomenal situation where... The next time when Adam really gets the information he's been seeking, he's all alone. And you can just imagine what's happening now in the minds of these who hear his testimony the first time. That is a fantastic story. We're the only people that know about the first two generations of Adam. So this is exciting material coming up in your next assignment. Not that we know of. We don't know whether he did or not. Well, he was very frightened, apparently, when they left the garden. We don't have any details there. We just know that they were praying and they did get the word. No reference to it, so we don't know. All right. We'll see you on Tuesday. And by the way, will you take your favorite seatmate with you and sit down? We will assign seats next Tuesday.